Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi there, it's Jay. I'm the editor and founder of The Eagles Beak, a Palace fan site for uh, Palace fans, and we, we have others that venture our way uh, because they enjoy a read and a bit of interaction. I'm also producer and presenter of Meridian Sports Show, a local radio community sports show, um, that you can get in touch with at the Meridian SS. You can get in touch with the Eagles Beak at the Eagles Beak. Uh, hi, guys. I'm Dan, Arsenal fan. You can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. All right. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Uh, up first, I wanted to talk about the incredible level of parody that seems to be dawning in the Premier League at the moment. So right now, the gap from 4th place to 12th place in the Premier League is just 10 points. 13th to 19th is 9. So for an easy visual, Southampton are 10 points from 4th and 10 points from 19th right now. That's how tight everything is right now. Do you guys think the Premier League has actually reached a point of parity at this moment? And if it has, do you view that as a positive sign for the league, both in terms of health and excitement? It's a difficult one, Kev. I, I, I think the, the quality of the Premier League this year is lower. It's probably probably the lowest it's been for a while, and it's no it's no finger points at teams that are in there. I think that you know you've got a you've got a couple of teams there. Well, one team that is just far better than anybody else. Nobody is close to them. You know, we had City and Liverpool last season. You've got Liverpool this season that's beating everybody on undefeated in the Premier League. You've got City that are struggling more so than they ever have done. Um, but the rest of the, the rest of the league is you could probably say that the rest of that core top six sides are are pretty poor this year. You look at Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea are probably the, the team that are performing better than most people expected first season. Frank Lampard in charge, and obviously they've had their transfer ban, so they've had their troubles. Um, United, yeah, maybe they're uh, maybe they're punching a, a little bit above their uh, their weight a little bit with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. We all know what we thought about him. Um, Spurs and Arsenal. Well, you guys can tell more about them, but they're you know they're certainly not in the positions that I I would have expected uh, at this stage of season. The rest, you know, Sheffield United are, are, are a massive surprise. Whether that's more to do with, like I mentioned, the, the, the lack of quality in the Premier League this year from the rest of the sides, I, I just think it's it's probably one of the the, the poorest seasons for quality, really. Um, but it certainly makes it exciting because you've you've got you've got groups of um, sides there, which, as you mentioned, Kev, you know, Southampton. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. It was only about three or four weeks ago. The Palace was six points from six and six points from the bottom three. Mm. Uh, it, it was that tight. So, you know, that, that's crazy. And when, you know, for talking about a fan base that I see a lot on social media, you know, at Palace, you know, you've got a lot of fans 
looking down rather than looking up and he's thinking well you know you could moan about being close to the bottom three but on the flip side you know well maybe you should be looking up we should be looking up rather than rather than behind us but it, it's kind of that that odd season like you say a bit of a parody of itself really the way it's it's divided itself up. I, I do think that it's a little bit top heavy and that you know you've got a a side there this season particularly this season who are so much better than everybody else and it and um you know won the league a few months back you could, you could say you know the way that they've been playing um man city have kind of you know suffered this year a little bit with injuries and and that kind of thing and obviously suffering a bit with uh you know obviously the news from from last week as well so it's a really old premier league this year i think it's it, it really is i think you've got you've got sides that you would expect to be because it, it seemed to be last year that the top six clubs closed ranks on everybody else um this year you've got the likes of leicester uh, sitting in third and, and, and well deserved from from the way they've played this season. They've been off it the last few weeks, but they're, they're sitting in third quite nicely. Um, Sheffield United are, are, are the massive surprise, but Wolves still keep doing it. Still, you know, finished well last year, um, having a fantastic European campaign, but also backing up with a really good league campaign. But elsewhere, it's just you know very much you know Burnley have had a good run of games. Any side from that bottom bottom half of the table can have uh, you know one or two or three wins and can be you know closing on the top 10 so it is really that close and you know there's no team you know Norwich look doomed but you know anybody else you know Watford can kind of run a games and end up seeing themselves in you know in the top 10 within a within a few weeks and you know same for West Ham and Villa so there's a lot of sides there got to be looking over their shoulder but like I said you know it's you know you, you mentioned Kev you know Southampton are te- is it 10 points from the bottom three but 10 points off the top six yep. it's, it's it's a, re- it's a really odd yeah a top four yeah it's it's an odd position particularly for fans to be in, um, looking at their club and, you know, what, what does the Hampton fans, where are they looking? There's no doubt they're looking down. I know, I know that from experience. They've been looking over their shoulder thinking, oh, just one more win and we'll be okay. Um, very similar to us, two more wins and we'll be fine. And then we can start looking up the table. But it's, yeah, it's very bizarre this year. It really is. Uh, yeah, I think, um, I think the bottom half of the table has improved in quality and then, like, four of the top six are having off years, which has made this strange season. Um, I think generally speaking, since a lot of quality in the league tends to be in the uh, higher reaches, the quality has decreased a bit. Um, It's just more of a general opinion manifesto, whatever you want to call it. I'm not a huge fan of full parity, um, just because it normally means the quality as a whole is decreased. Um, My preferred kind of thing, I was looking back for examples, the best recent one is... um, 13, 14, there are like five or six really good teams all competing for title. And then like, you know, whatever after that. Um, and we're certainly not getting that this year if Liverpool blowing everyone away. Um, so I think they've reached some level of parity because the bottom teams are getting better with the influx of money and all that. And then also like, it's not every year that Chelsea, United, uh, Spurs and Arsenal all have objectively bad years. Um, so I think it's I'm not sure it's a long term thing. Uh, you'd hope not for just because you'd hope Chelsea, United, Spurs and Arsenal don't continue to all have bad years. Um, but at least this year, there is a pretty real level. Of, there seems to be a pretty real level of parity um, throughout the league, or at least more so than there has been in the recent past. Question for you guys, if I can. Um, yeah. You know, being, being, being a top six, you know, for, for following a top six club, both of you. Do you, do you see the you know, Leicester being third on the table? Do you see them as 
as a threat to that top six. You know, we're not talking a threat to Liverpool like or, or potentially City. Yeah, yeah, long term. I mean, they've they've brought in a very good manager who who, who did very well in 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 Scottish football with Celtic. Mm. Um, if if he can, if Leicester can keep him, because obviously early signs are that you know he can certainly do a job back in the Premier League after his stint to Liverpool. But he's got a hold of Leicester and and has got them into a into a really good position this year after. After not not too much tinkering with the squad that he's inherited, really. So you know, you kind of think that you know, with a summer behind him again in next year, could they, you know, could they potentially challenge the top six? Are they a concern for you guys? I think it'll take the summer for us to know the answer to that question, yeah. because you know they're probably set for a Champions League spot, um, being somewhat comfortably above, well, six points above Chelsea, but you know, nine ahead of fifth. Um, I would assume that they're safe in terms of their Champions League spot. And is that enough to fend off the amount of interest that will surely be had in their players? Like yeah. Madison yeah. and Chilwell and Pereira mm-hmm. and perhaps even Tielemans already in Didi would be an easy fix for a lot of teams at the base of midfield threes. So yeah. if if they keep all of them and do well in the Champions League and keep Rodgers, like, I, I think it might take a couple of years of keeping this all mm-hmm. together before it becomes a genuine concern to the air quotes, bigger clubs. But yeah. I mean, at this exact moment, they're obviously a threat because they're ahead of a lot of them. Um, but in terms of their long-term upside, I, I think it's just the question of, can they keep them all together? And I'm not trying to peddle the, they have to sell their players narrative that happens no, to Tottenham all the time yeah. either. It's just, yeah. you know, is a reality that something like that could happen. But if it doesn't, then certainly they could become a threat to the bigger sides. It's amazing that they've done what they've done with just Jamie Vardy as their striker, really. You know, they don't yeah. really have much. I kind of think that is actually one of the reasons why. I think they might be a threat to the top six, less so the top four, but I think the fact that Vardy is their only striker is kind of a problem because I know he yeah. seems like an ageist yeah. wonder, but he is 33. Yeah. Um, also, like Leicester have been riding their luck a bit on the underlying numbers. Not to say mm-hmm. that they don't deserve the top uh, probably four place, but also they it's do not it all quite the time. as big a gap. Their ah, play yeah, style kind of lends itself yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah. Was it? Yeah. Um, oh, we've seen Var- like a lot of it was Vardy was scoring at a ridiculously uns- unsustainable rate, and he's like come back down from that recently. Yeah, he, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then then it's like I I don't know if the play style lends to them like over overachieving defensively. It might might not. I don't know. Um, yeah. But I I I think that's like just a factor, and I think the fact that they are going to have to fend off interest from other clubs, and the fact that Vardy is, as you said, their really only striker, and mm. he's thirty three is a problem that could really come back to bite them if Harvey Barnes doesn't really, um, really kick on or they sign a yeah. really good striker. Well, yeah. they've tried. That's what I think is interesting. So we just did the the full transfer window review um, with Dave, and we were talking about Watford and how if you've tried to sign multiple forwards and none of them can unseat mm. um, Troy Deeney, then your signings have been failures um, yeah. in the abstract. Leicester brought in Islam Slimani. They brought in Ahmed Musa. They brought yeah. in Ihea Nacho. Like they've tr- yeah. they've noticed this issue and have tried to replace it and just yeah. haven't been able to succeed. So, yes, but they... isn't that the difficulty in the Premier League, particularly yeah. because unless you're you you can't guarantee a striker's going to score twenty goals a season for you, right. fifteen goals a season, ten even. You can't. Yeah. You know, sides have spent money on players. You've only got to look at teams like, well, Newcastle broke their transfer record and spent forty million on a striker, and he's. He scored once in the Premier League this season. You know, even the bigger sides have struggled with it. Um, Leicester, particularly as well. Chelsea, they've probably had a bit of luck with Tammy Abraham. I don't mean luck in that um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's unforeseen luck. I mean, that's a youth player come through and, you know, he's still to be proven long-term. But, you know, they've got Giroud there who scored at weekend. But all the clubs struggle with that, you know, that one goal scorer, particularly when, you know, as well as anybody, Kevin, you get player, a player out that you rely on so heavily as scoring the, the, the large proportion of your goals. Where else is that going to come from? Even for a club like, yeah. you know, you guys. For a team like Palace or some of the teams lower down, you've got to take gambles on players. But, that often means spending out money on a player, which ends up being a dud, a failure even, you know, because they just can't score the goals. I mean, look at Benteke for us, did great in the first season. It's just fallen through the floor ever since that time and just can't get his confidence back. We even tried Alexander Sorloff last season, spent 12, 13 million on that yeah. guy. Couldn't do it in the Premier League, whether the system probably doesn't didn't work for him at Palace. He's gone to Turkish football and he's banging in the goals and Real Madrid was scouting him at the weekend. So, you know, it's it, it, it's such a difficult thing. You know, even if you spend 40, 50 million, you can't guarantee goals. Even if you're Liverpool, Man City, Leicester, you know, Liverpool side has, has been built over time and those players are settled there. It's not as if they brought people in, you know, and, and are hitting the back of it immediately. And Leicester are obviously finding that problem and they will find that problem with uh, Vardy, as, uh, um, as, as you guys rightly said. Yeah, we'll go from there uh, to talking about VAR. Now, listeners of the show and also guests, <laughs> Dan and Jay, we talked at the beginning of the season that we just weren't going to talk about VAR because you could find yourself doing so every week. It could end up being your lead item every week. Um, but this is a particularly bad week. Obviously, uh, as a Tottenham supporter, would like for the Lacelso to have not been a red. Uh, also, just a mild part of me, in lifetime, it looked like he didn't know Azpilicueta was sliding in from behind him. But I got to say, every camera angle since has looked really bad. <laughs> then, uh, So the VAR officials are the ones that say it's not a red card, but then somebody else in the same VAR office immediately after the match said it should have been. So there's even dissonance within. I think it was there. literally during the match. I think it happened during the match. Oof. Yeah, I think it did. Oh, yeah. really? Oh, yeah, yeah. goodness. Um, yeah. So that's worse. Um, then obviously in the Bournemouth match, multiple uh, goals were disallowed versus Burnley. Um, it just continues to bubble up over and over again. And uh, a great question was asked uh, to our Wolves correspondent, Thomas Boff, last week uh, by Jake, which was about has it damaged his his uh, experience as a match-going fan? Because, you know, Wolves have been the victim of the most of our decisions this season. He obviously said yes. And so I wanted to ask kind of a broader audience after coming off of another week of VAR controversy. Has it had the same effect on you guys? Yes. I, I it, it, it is upsetting people. The, the just the, just a pure application of VAR. I, I think it I think it has more to do with showing how poor our officiating is in this country. You know, you've given them a brand new system. They've got a directive. They've got instructions on how to use it, and they can't use it. It's been proven across Europe. It's you know in other countries, and it works well. I watch a lot of Bundesliga football, um, and yes, sometimes decisions take a while to uh, to be made. But for the most part, you know they don't have the controversies as much as we do. And yes, this is the first season, but just feel there's a real there's a there's a real reluctance of the officials to overall their their fellow colleague on the pitch you know and, and that that's that's not what it's about it, it should be there to make the right decisions whether or not that that referee the referee cannot see everything that goes on in a game with a naked eye it, it's impossible we know that 
it shouldn't be seen as VAR telling a referee he's made the wrong decision. Um, it's not a case of he's missed it. Uh, he may well have missed it, but he, 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 you know, sometimes you just can't see those things. Some of the things at the weekend, you, there's no way that a referee will often see those. The La Celso one, I, I can't remember where the ref was in, in the positioning, but if Mourinho says he can't see it, where he's standing right in front of it, tongue-in-cheek, obviously. Um, you know, referees got players in a way, that sort of thing. You know, it's difficult for them to see, and we know that, and we've said it for years. With so much money in the game, something had to be done. So, start of the season, I was very much like, yep, VAR's going to, you know, it's going to take a, a bit of time, but I didn't think it would take this long, and, and, and we're still nowhere near. We're actually worse off, I think, particularly with the controversies at the weekend. As as we saw, you know, the news came out before the end of the game that that La Celso challenge should have been a red card and somebody at the uh, at, uh, um, at where the VAR is being held is has come out and Park. said, yeah, it's, it's Stockley Park, that's right. Um, you know, it has come out and said that it should have, it should have been given as a red card. I mean, you, you can't be having that. I mean, I guess in a way it's refreshing because somebody's come out and said, yeah, they made a mistake. But how can VAR make the mistake? They've got like 20 different camera angles, probably more. And they've got a bit of time to actually make a decision. Um, it just seems crazy. And those decisions up at Burnley as well, um, I mean, you could see the effect they had on... Uh, isn't that the first time it's happened where a team has scored a goal and it's been ta- it's been chalked off and given a penalty at the other end? So from being one all, you're actually 2-0 down <laughs> in the space of, you know, a couple of minutes. I mean, that you, mm. you, you just saw the Burnley players, uh, sorry, the Bournemouth players, just, you know, shell-shocked after that. How do you pick a group of players up after that? And whether that's right or wrong, you know that this is what VAR should be doing. Um, VAR should be calling things back before Burnley, Bournemouth have gone up there and scored that goal. You know, surely they should be saying to the referee, "You need to go and look at that." They don't use the screens outside the pitch enough. Um, there's an instance at the weekend. Well, there's an instance. Same referee as the Chelsea Tottenham game. I can't remember. Was it Andrew Mariner? Andrew uh, Mariner. Oliver. Marco Oliver. That's the guy. So he he sent off Luka Milivojevic in the FA Cup uh, Palace between Palace and Derby at Selhurst. I think that was the first time that um, oh, a referee had used with the monitor yeah. inside the pitch. Now, he was told by the VAR officials to go and, you know, see the action, you know, see, go to the monitor, make his decision from that. He sent off Luka Milivojevic. There was none of that at Chelsea Tottenham yesterday. Surely VAR should be saying more often than not, actually, you need to look at that again and make, and, and, and you know, and make a decision again because there's something you might need to see again there. Uh, why are they not doing that? They do it across Europe, I, you know. I, I just think it's a real. It, it's more about the, the 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 lack of implementation in this country and and the way that the officials are using it. They're not using it in in the way it should be. It's not to highlight referees' mistakes. It's to help them. It's to help the game. There's so much money in the game. Something had to be done. Um, yeah, I, I I was I was hoping it would make a difference this year. Um, and now I've gone right around full circle and actually thought. It's killing the game. It's upsetting too many fans, too many people. It's just, it's just actually making more um, more controversy than we had before, and that's that's saying something. Yeah, I I have been a huge proponent of VAR, but it's an absolute farce. Like, <laughs> it's so bad. Like, I yeah, to to the point like every other decision, I'm like looking at like yeah, that is blank, and the commentator's like yeah, that's blank. And then Ralph would be like, no, that's blah. Like, okay, sure, whatever. Who cares? Uh, it's, it happens, like, every time. It's so 
it's so not good. And I said I said in this podcast previously, I am concerned um, that it's the, it's more of the officials than the uh, system, which is harder mm. to change because uh, you need to hold, do a whole overhaul of probably the PGMLO and the whole um, I don't know the rule regulation whatever that they only hire English refs. You got to scrap all that, which is so much harder to fix than trying to like tweak the system. So that's not great. Um, and it's at just every time, like the list, list also red card, <laughs> the commentators are like, yeah, clearly a red. I'm like, yeah, clearly a red. And then, and Vars like, nope, he's good. Totally fine. Like, okay, whatever. Cool. And it no recourse to reverse such. it because it was seen by the on-pitch official. Mm. Uh, and, and that is, I'm. I, I don't find, know I find that ridiculous as well. I don't find who's no, who's at fault there because I don't know how the system works. But whether it's the VAR people saying telling Michael Oliver go look at that, or Michael Oliver saying I'm going to go look at that, one way or another he should have looked at it. He's right near the yeah. monitor. It's in or violent conduct is absolutely the like specific scenario they've said like you should use monitor for this stuff. Like just wh- wh- whether it's Michael Oliver trusting the guys in uh, Stockley Park too much, or Michael Oliver just not wanting to look at it, or Stockley Park not wanting to have him look at it someone is at fault there and he should have looked at it that was just that's such an obvious scenario to look at it for yeah so then my question for you guys would be what could be done or how could it be adjusted jay i know you mentioned the pitch side monitor which seems to be Mm -hmm. the leader in the clubhouse amongst the majority of fans and then also at the back end of that do you think that anything could be done to resuscitate var's reputation in the english game i think I think we'd all agree it's not it's not VAR it's not VAR's reputation as such it's it's the officials that are using it. Um, they, uh, I, how how we how we get around the fact that they've implemented it so badly I don't know I mean my my biggest annoyance with it is without going down the route of you know they're not using the screens because we know that they're they're not referring to just pitch side monitors which is just crazy what are they even there for? My my biggest problem is the offsides. You know, they're calling such tight offsides when the camera angle is not in line. You know, how many times have we said in the past before VAR came in, how's the linesman, the linesman's not up to play, how can he make that offside call? Well, it's, it's, a very, it's a very same thing because you've got a camera looking down the pitch. Unless you've got a, 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 a set of cameras all the way down the side of the pitch, you're never going to catch that accurately, that offside decision. But if you're calling it as tight as a toenail, or a fingernail, or you know that kind of thing. It's it's never going to work if if they're making it so um, so tight as that. It's you know that's 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 just wrong. You know it's they've got to look at maybe the offside laws again and and that kind of thing because you know that that bit is 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 killing the game big time. Um, with the naked eye, maybe we go back to that idea or not. But I just find the offside being such a crucial part of this. <sighs> farce as um as as we've already mentioned it's how we get around it i don't know they, they've got to look at it in the summer and decide how they're going to use it properly i think um whether you know the, i think the officials it's got to get to a stage where the officials aren't kind of well they're using it properly so that they're you know not seen to be overruling a referee on the pitch but helping them that seems to be the biggest issue and Using the pitch side monitors, they've got to use them more often. If VAR don't want to, doesn't want to overrule the referee on the pitch, they've got the, they've got the other option. The easy option is to tell them to go and have a look at it again. You know, we follow American sports, particularly NFL. You know, they've got all this implemented over there, and a lot of people 
that don't follow those sports are, are very opinionated about it because it slows the game down. But when you're talking about such technical and, and, and tight margins, then, you know, there's so much money at stake and, and that in the game now, this has got to happen. It's, it's not going to go away, but they've just got to make it, they've just got to implement it better when they start again next season with some new rules and new way of doing it. I don't know or whether they just need a group of younger officials who can understand technology. I don't, I don't know whether whether that's just a sort of facetious comment uh, from me. I don't, I, I don't know, but it, they've got to understand that it's not there to do them out of a job. It, it, it is there to make the right decisions. Referees can't make the decisions on the pitch every time with a naked eye. We know that from watching on the screen. You know, you can see things one way. Oh, didn't see that, but so you can see it clearly from a replay. Well, use the screens then on the side of the pitch. They've got that option. Just, you know, just make it better. I, I don't think it's rocket science. I really don't. just think there's a real problem with the officials that are in charge of it at the moment, not wanting to overrule their colleagues. Uh, yeah, but for the offsides in particular, like if I trusted the system, I'd be fine with it. I realize like the offsides rule is like is like, if I trusted the system and we were having these things, I'd just be like, okay, maybe we look at the offsides rule and just maybe adjust that. But I, I just don't trust the system at all. It looks like they're just like as far as I'm aware, they're just trying to like draw a line, which <laughs> I'm, I might be wrong. If I'm wrong, please call me out on that. Yell at me on Twitter. I would love to be wrong on that. I would love for it to be a more precise system. If it is, please let me know. But if it's not, like, that's so bad, man. Like, it, it's at that point, it, it's just it's so imprecise that I'm not sure you can overrule it. Because if it's if you're using this extremely imprecise system, then it's inherently not clear. And I would think it's inherently not clear and obvious. Oh, I guess that doesn't apply to both sides. So never mind. Um, <laughs> shoot. I don't know. <laughs> Part of me wonders if the system has to learn from instances. So, like, in theory, the computer system might get better with usage. Um, and uh, on a different show, somebody brought up, you know, that that the VAR off sideline doesn't have the prior respect that, like, Hawkeye does in tennis. But it is actually Hawkeye that's implementing this, um, obviously in a different sport. But... Um, I would like to think that the system will get better and will work, but I, I agree with you guys that I think right now we're being let down by the human element. Mm. You, uh, you mentioned the, whole, the Hawkeye thing. I mean, the, the, problem, the problem with football is that the offside can be in such a large area of the pitch. you know, it, And it, the it lines just, don't stay still. Yeah, yeah. It, well, <laughs> yeah oh, I mean, and the camera's never going to be in line with that. And like Dan rightly said, they're drawing a line across a pitch, which actually isn't isn't accurate um, because of where the camera angle is. The camera angle is never going to be in line with where those players are. So they're not getting a true representation of whether that player was offside by his toenail or hair on his arm or whatever. That's just that that that's just you know, it just seems crazy to me. It just seems crazy. But I think I think the bigger issue is that. The officials need to understand that it's not undermining them at all. Mm. It, it it's it just smacks of a of something where they 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 believe it's trying to do them out of a job and they just don't want to use it properly, so it might go away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just it just it is, and I'm sure that's not the case. I'm sure I'm, there was always going to be teething problems, but, but not for a whole season. You know, until they get to the summer and actually think again. Maybe they needed this first season to actually iron out all the all, all the creases and stuff, and 
and meet again in the summer and actually say, right, that didn't work this year. We've got to do that better next year and, and that kind of thing. We know we know from the past, you know, little tweaks to the rules have happened and the start of the season is always a bit chaotic with, you mm. know, the shirt pulling one a few years ago, wasn't it? I think there was um, a spate of penalties at the start of the season because referees were very hot on the shirt yeah. pulling thing and that kind of slowed down as the season went on. Far just hasn't changed at all. It's probably got worse with some of the decisions as we've seen over the weekend. Now, wasn't there a potential red card? Another guy, I can't remember the highlights now. There was another game, not the Celso, when two players went in on each other and won. Very similar oh, to the Celso, yeah. on the shin. Um, it, again, you know, that wasn't, that that was looked at, but wasn't, you know, there was no red card. And mm. you kind of think, oh, you know, that's what VAR should be there for. If a referee's not seen it and can't see it because it's happened that quickly or out of his eyes, line of sight, you know, that's, that's what it should be doing. They seem to be very clear and obvious, not mistakes, because referees, you know, can't, like we say, we've, we've backed them up before and by saying that they can't see everything in a game, you know, it's so difficult because it happens at speed and you've, you know, the naked eye, they've only got one view, but again, go and use the monitor at the side of the pitch, that's what it's there for. They, they, they've hardly used it in the Premier League this season. Yeah. Well, as far as the teething problems, if you told me like there'd be teething problems for like two years, I'd have believed you. I, I get that it's a big change, but this isn't yeah. teething problems. They've bitten like seven fingers off. This is beyond that. <laughs> yeah, I will say in terms of one solution, uh, particularly not to go too far back, but to the um, offside line, one of the issues is like you guys are saying, they're having to pick a spot at a 3D geometry from a 2D camera angle because yeah. the camera doesn't track alongside the ball it's always at an angle unless it's mm. literally at the halfway line um so a solution to that would be tracking cameras that can fully move along the full width and length yeah. of the touchline yeah. but yeah. um that could you know adding a huge camera system like that could interfere with actual match going attendees like getting that mm. like amount of equipment set up mm. so i don't yeah. know how that would work out in a practical setting but that's my thought on a way that they could kind of bolster it in a realistic way that hopefully wouldn't be too damaging um, to the match-going experience uh, live. Um, we will wrap up quickly, uh, news and notes, with uh, the Golden Boot Race. So Vardy hasn't scored in s- somewhere near 10 matches, 7 to 9, I want to mm-hmm. say. Um, Aguero obviously was out injured for a while, has just come back. Uh, I believe he's tied with Aubameyang now on 17 uh, Harry Kane's gone. Rashford's gone. Uh, Abraham has recently been benched for Giroud. Uh, so out of the remaining options, we're just curious to get your guys' semi-early take on who you think is the front runner for the Golden Boot. Well, striking options have been um, a horrible thing to kind of overcome in fantasy football this year, I have to say. It has not um, been fun. <laughs> it's not been fun at all trying to find that striker, which, oh, another one's gone. Another one's gone. Um yeah, um, Jamie Vardy was looked to be flying at one stage of the season, and now he's just hit this sticky patch, um, which which has gone on for far longer than we expected, and it's kind of impacted on on Leicester a little bit as well. Um, I have to say, looking, I mean, looking at the stats, you know, Bamian getting two goals today. I mean, he's he's just a natural goal scorer. That guy, he, he looks, you know, Arsenal are back to creating chances as they did today. Still letting in goals, but creating chances is a big thing. And Aubameyang, you know, he's he's putting them away when he gets the chances. And I would say he's probably he's probably favourite now. Um, but then again, on the flip side, City have got to start 
um, you know, hitting a good run of form, which they which they look to have got back to some kind of um, normality. But they're they're still they're still chipping away at those results and you know not being the dominant selves of last season, which you know you would think Aguero will have a few more chances before the end of the season. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past Danny Ings. He always scores goals at Southampton. I think he's had a uh, he's been slowed down, slowed down a little bit in, in in recent weeks, and it's one player that I I put an outside shot of making the um, the England team for the uh, European Championship this summer because I think he's done exceptionally well this season for Southampton, a side that have struggled at one point and then they found their form and ended up being seventh from the table and they and they seem to be doing okay at the moment. Um, it, what surprised me most is that they that there's not really a a Liverpool player up there. I think is Salah the closest. Which Salah's is, got fourteen. Yeah. 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 Salah's the closest. Which it's only three. Yeah, it's only three off, and you know, likely it is the way that Liverpool play between now and the end of the season. I think it's a fascinating, um, you know, list of players there that could you know could be in with a shot. They're all they're all capable of scoring the goals. It's pretty close. There's no runaway leader. Um, at the moment, I'd probably favour Aubameyang because Arsenal need to. Be pushing hard to get back close to that top uh, top four, five, six teams. Um, outside that, you know, Guerrero is going to score goals. Do you just wonder whether Vardy's going to pick it up again? You would like to think so, um, but I wouldn't put I wouldn't put Salah uh, outside that. But yeah, it's it's a uh, it's quite a list, isn't it? It really is quite a list. Tommy Abraham's injured at the moment. Um, I would go for Aubameyang and Aguero as being the favourites looking at that table, but. Uh, if Vardy can get his shooting boots back again, then you know he could be in the shout as well. So it's fascinating. The two interesting names I think are Aubameyang and Salah, just because I think a lot of that depends on how their club's European tours go. Um, you mm-hmm. know, currently Liverpool are one nil; they are going into the second leg. They're down one nil um, to Atleti. I still think they're going to go through, but let's say they don't. That would I think that would um, give Salah a much better chance than he has right now, because like with Liverpool's massive lead at the top, I think they're going to try and focus on the Champions League. But if they're out of the Champions League, then they have no choice but to focus on the league. And uh, Salah focusing on the league is, you know, scary, especially when he's only three goals back. Um, and then for Arsenal, I am honestly not sure which way we're going to go between the Europa League and the league. But theoretically, we you know lose our next two games or get one point from six. Now we're basically out of the league chase. And now we're going to focus on the Europa League and maybe a bombing doesn't play as many games. Um, so I think those two are like two to look at that. I think they have a lot of variance just based on like it could go the, their situation could be very good or very bad depending on a couple results in the next couple mm-hmm. weeks. Um, as far as a favorite, if I have to name one, um, I'll probably go with um, I'll probably go with Aguero, but I'm not like hugely confident in it. And if I was gonna like put a bet down on anyone i'd go with salah assuming i'm getting better odds i don't i'm not looking at them but you know assu- uh, uh, assuming that's the case just because he's lower down on the table i i think salah is a really interesting pick yeah i agree that it's it's super tight at, at just face value i'd probably lean aguero just because i've always been leery of Yang's low amount of shots on target and shot accuracy but much like vardy so many of his goal opportunities are just breakaways where it's just him and the keeper that the finishing accuracy spikes. So that it, he, his whole statistical gamut has always confused me. Um, so I think I might just be a traditionalist and go with Aguero. Though it should be mentioned that if Vardy was going to get back on track, well, first of all, he established such a massive lead that he cannot score in almost 10 matches and still be <laughs> joint top. 
Um, That's crazy. But then also, his next three matches are Norwich, Villa, and Watford. It's like if there was a stretch of three games to jumpstart you know, the second half of your campaign, having built up a lead that's been exhausted so much so that you aren't even you haven't even dropped down to second yet that could get him going again just him and madison haven't been hitting it and you'd expect them because of quality levels too although i know you know vardy was due for some regression although he almost always is <laughs> citing that obamian thing as well but yeah it's it's gonna be a crazy one i'm gonna go aguero but I, you know don't take your eyes off vardy either i do think mm. that arsenal um, may end up shifting gears into uh, Europa League mode a bit more, but as we mentioned, you know, everybody down to about 12th is in the top four slash top five chase, so uh, that could yeah. really turn on a dime, as Dan says. I'm still scrolling looking for a Palace uh, player in that, but it's uh, it's going away. Maybe, maybe it's down <laughs> yeah, you, may, you may be here for a while. <laughs> R.I.P. in peace. Um, all right, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. All right, and we are back. Uh, Jay, we'll start off with you and Crystal Palace. Uh, we talked on the transfer show, and then I think also uh, with Sam once already, about your January. You end up bringing in Sheng Tosin, but you don't end up being able to sign a right back because Nathan Ferguson failed his medical on deadline day. The consensus was that you left things too late, um, maybe should have gone in earlier, that you didn't bid enough perhaps on Jared Bowen. From a from a Palace fan perspective, what was your view of the window and how it wound up? Uh, chaos. Um, if, if you're one of the uh, usual Palace fans that uh, tend to complain about, you know, where's the next signing coming from and how many players we're going to sign in January. Um, from a realistic perspective, I think that's the way that the transfer window goes for a lot of clubs that aren't the top six. If you can spend 50, 60 million on a player, then yes, there's still going to be a, a, a bit of a bargaining going on. But generally, you know, the, the, those top sides that spend that money will get get a man eventually. Um, as for teams like Palace, um, you're having to do a deal. You know, we're not flush with cash. You know, we are a Premier League side. And I think a lot of clubs see that coming, you know, and uh, actually we'll, we'll, we'll raise the price a little bit because it's a Premier League club. We know they've got a bit of money from the season. So, you know, we can increase it. I think... Very much the case for Nathan Ferguson. We we targeted him early on. Um, talks were ongoing. West Brom wouldn't budge, and it got to late in a transfer window where that's that was always going to be a scenario. I have to say, West Brom probably knew he had this knee injury, um, but I, there's no doubt that we'll probably go back in for him in the summer. Um, elsewhere, we had a we had a bid accepted for a Italian striker who instantly that weekend we had the bid accepted, uh, did his knee ligaments. So 
<laughs> those, those two things you can't really, um, you know, uh, kind of predict um, mm. in terms of a transfer window. I, I think, I think norm, you see a lot of clubs like us doing deals late in the window because that's just the way it works. You know, you're kind of hoping that you can you can get the price down. Or um, you know the other the other team will give in uh, eventually um, to that to that deal. I, I think we were probably pawns in the Jared Bowen deal. As it turned out, I don't think um, we were probably in with a shout of getting him. Probably sucked in by an agent or something to actually that make the way that first bid. On the athletics transfer yeah. podcast. Yeah, 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 very much so. And it's not the first time that's happened. Um, it would have been a very nice addition, I have to say, because um, you yeah, know he's he, he's very. Why I went to West Ham, who knows? I, you know, that that's here and there. Well, we know why I went to West Ham because they paid more money. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, in terms of transfer, I think it's just always going to be the case for for Club at Palace. We got um, Schenk Tosan deal done early, um, which was good from our perspective because we were struggling uh, in in the striker department. Uh, what with uh, you know kind of Wickham and, and Benteke and obviously Ayu doing doing a sterling job this season I have to say um, so so Tucson coming in has been a has been decent for us to uh, to boost the ranks up front elsewhere it was all about the fullback spots uh, that we wanted to um, obviously you know lose an Aaron Basaka in the summer we never replaced him Joel was stepped up able deputy but you know he's not. It's not getting any younger, but he's done a great job this season. I have to say, he's done a great job. But when he's injured, you know, we we you know we kind of we don't have a backup for him. So that's that's the main area where we've struggled. But I think the biggest problem we have at Palace is that we've got an aging squad, um, which we need to start addressing. Um, and without being able to do that in January, by Nathan Ferguson would have been a great addition because what is he 19, 20? Would have brought the average age of the squad down, down a little bit, um, but that, that's that's I think that's Palace fans' biggest concern because it's very similar to the story that Stoke City had at a certain point in time where they had an aging squad, um, and look at where they are now. So we, I think we've got to be very mindful of that as a club. Um, from a fan perspective, I know it's a big concern for the fans. You know, if we lose Zaha in, in the summer, you know, the rest of the players are. Uh, getting on a bit so we do need to think about the youth side of things um, you know particularly in the summer so there might be a bit of an overhaul in the summer in that area but I think yeah January wasn't great from our perspective we were expecting more but I don't think it was for for the want of uh, for the want to try and buy the club they they did have a finger and a few pies but it just didn't work out yeah, then also um, over that kind of winter stretch, you had a really nice run of fixtures that we talked about. I think the last time you were on didn't end up being as fruitful as you would have hoped either. Mm. Um, you are the team that I mentioned are currently nine points clear of uh, 19th. But after a run that bad, are you kind of thinking, uh-oh, we're, we're in danger of being pulled back into it? Or are you thinking we've kind of got all of those bad results out of our system and now you could start to turn things around? Oh, good question. I think we got to the end of 2019 with the highest points tally we've had at that point stage in the season in the Premier League. So we we just hit 30 points by by the time we beat West Ham on Boxing Day, which which is a great total for us. You know, we've always been slow starters in the Premier League in that first half of the season. So from our perspective, that is, you know, that that was really really good. And then obviously from that, it's. Um, We've not really got many more, um, and that's that bad run you're alluding to. In that, 
you know, we haven't picked up, we haven't started this year particularly well, other than the result against Newcastle uh, at the weekend, uh, which was uh, which was a much needed three points. So we're kind of getting through this year. We had a we had a spate of injuries which contributed, um, but you know we we do have a bit of we have more of strength and depth in at the club than than some people realise, and and we did manage to pick up points in that in that period. But it's just been it's just been a really slow start to the year. Um, and we're hitting a run of fixtures now, which are favourable, but you know, no game's easy in the Premier League. We know that. You know, we we played Newcastle the weekend. We got Brighton coming up. We got Watford after that. So they're they're clubs that are in the worst position than we are, and, and we'll want those points. We just need the points to keep ourselves at arm's length from that bottom three. Um, it, it's seemingly looking like our our normal season is that we 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 struggle the first half and. And, and play well second half. I think it's uh, it's flipped around uh, the way it's uh, the way it's looking like at the moment. In that we we had a very good first half of the season and, and not so it's not so good second half. But I think that's probably the worry sometimes that a team often gets dragged into trouble, uh, sinking like a stone. Apparently we've seen it a number of times over the past few seasons. And hopefully, hopefully we can keep ourselves at arm's length, which after the result of the weekend suggests we will. Um, the way you've played, but. Yeah, it's 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 been a very odd season. We talked about it a little bit earlier about how the Premier League's worked out this year. It's been it's it's been an odd one for Palace um, as a whole. But seventh consecutive season in Premier League. Um, hopefully, we'll be looking towards our eighth successive season in Premier League. It, it is a club record by by a long shot. Um, not sure what else we can expect as a, for a club like us. Maybe break into the top ten, perhaps. But it's after that you're you're getting into that difficult area where if you if you start pushing yourself a little bit you, you tend to stop looking behind you and that's where you get pulled out mm. all right then coming to you now dan to talk about arsenal i've long held a theory about tottenham and people ask why we haven't seen the youth prospects come through like when people talk about skip or troy parrot or uh those kinds of players that have already left my my point has been that when we had all those young players come through it was because we were in the europa league which proved a really good testing ground to get them ready for Premier League action, then obviously later on Champions League football. Right now at Arsenal, obviously you had Enketia scoring his first. Oh, I think they corrected it and said it was a second senior goal um, for Arsenal in the Premier League. Bukayo Saka looks terrific every time that I've seen him. Um, not as impressed on Maitland Niles, but how impressed are you by this young generation? And do you think that the Europa League has been a good hotbed for some of your younger talent to break into the first team? Uh, but Saka is really good. Like we need to pay him as much money as he wants. I don't care. But he's he. Yeah, he it can't be another legit, good legit. Oh my God! Please no! I will cry a lot of tears. Um, uh, but on the generation as a whole, uh, I Arteta seems to have fallen out of favor of Maitland Niles. Um, so that's not great for him. Um, Inkedia, we'll we'll see how he is. But uh, the other two you didn't highlight, which maybe because they're not youth prospects. Like, Martinelli. You know, yeah, Martinelli and Kunduzi. Yeah. Um, that them also being around along with Saka is really impressive. Like to get that many, possibly really good young players. Like I can see them all being not only like legit starters on a top six club. Um, and they're all 20 or under, if I'm correct, I might not be, but very young regardless, um, is really impressive to just have all three of those guys come through at the same time. Um, well done to the scouting network who scouted Gwenduzi Martinelli and well done to Hayland for producing Saka and maybe in Kedia. I'm less sold on him and Maitland Niles, but if they, 
if one of those pans out, that's another great prospect. So fantastic. And you, um, I, and you bought Saliba, as, who's going to be coming in next year, yes, who's also going to be I under would, 20. Yep. It's a really, we have, we have found a young core weirdly quickly. Um, Cause you know, even, even last summer, we didn't know Martinelli was going to be any good. Um, Saka hadn't really broken through. Yeah, I think he played a few games, but he hadn't, he hadn't looked like this um, or anywhere near this. Um, so, you know, it was like maybe we have Guendouzi and Saliba. Now we're looking at maybe Guendouzi, Martinelli, Saliba, Saka, and, you know, maybe even Maitland-Niles or Benkedia, even if I'm more skeptical on them. Um, so as far as the Europa League being the reason for that, or not the reason, but a reason, um, quite possibly. It is definitely a nicer way to get the minutes and really see how they work in a first-team environment. Um because that is like that is the biggest difference um, between, you know, making it not not just like how skilled you are, but really how you can fit into a team uh, and what you can provide. Cause it's really interesting, actually, because our last two or two of our biggest academy products recently have been a Wobi and let's say Saka continues to be good Saka. And they've both been overshadowed by uh, in Wobi's case, Chu Akpom and in um, uh, Saka's case, Reese Nelson at the youth level. And it's really interesting with the guys who were like, you know, thought of as a better prospects at youth level have not turned out to be better prospects in um, actual Premier League football. Uh, I'm not entirely sure on the reasoning to that, but I just I think it's something interesting and really does say like you really cannot know until you see them in the first team. And as you say, the Europa League does give a very good opportunity for that. So I definitely think it could be a part of it. Gotcha. And then you mentioned Arteta there. It's been a while since we've last talked about him. I, I think we talked like maybe a match or two after he had come in. Just curious to get your take now that he's been there a little bit longer established his philosophy perhaps a bit more at the club uh, it is interesting that uh, the last two games we've actually looked sadly only for a half each but um like competent at creating chances because i think he's massively improved us defensively um but the offense has still been a bit questionable uh, it'd be really nice to see you know us combine two halves into a whole game that'd be cool um of like good chance creation um and then I guess for one, probably the biggest negative about Arteta actually is probably our set piece defending has looked bad. I'm hoping it's just a small sample thing, which it totally could be. Set, you know, you don't you don't get that many uh, samples for set pieces in uh, however many games he's managed, but it has looked pretty bad, um, both in terms of numbers, in terms of like you know expected goals conceded, and just eye test like you know we're conceding some really stupid goals and some not even just stupid goals, stupid chances from set pieces as we saw today against Everton where um. Both of their goals were for, were from uh, set pieces, and especially the first one. I don't know what Klasich was doing, but that was very poor defending. Um, and both, I think both goals, we had someone that was just way deeper than the rest of the line, keeping a lot of people onside. Gotcha. All right, now we will head into Player Watch, where we're going to delve a little bit more into January signings. Jay, I know we kind of touched on the window on the hole in particular right back, but we also mentioned you bringing in Sanctos, and he scored pretty early. With, I don't know if it was his debut or not, but very early in his Palace tenure. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have you made yeah. of him thus far? Yeah, he, he, he scored, and then he, uh, he got an injury. He he missed an absolute sitter uh, in a game, a couple of games after that at home. I can't remember who that was against now. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's needs must. He gives us a little bit of a different dimension. He, he's... He's a big, strong character. Um, we were interested in him before he signed for Everton, so the interest had never really gone away. Um, so it it was really a case of needing somebody over the line that we could rely on to to come in. Um, obviously, since since then, Benteke's come back into the side and 
we always play better when Benteke is playing as, as the lone striker. We, it, it's very bizarre, even though he's not scoring the goals, we always look a much better outfit when he's leading the line. Um, so he gives us that something extra. But I, I've been, you know, in the short amount of uh, game time that uh, Toussaint's been given, I, I've, I've been impressed. He works hard, he chases down, he he harasses. And, you know, he's, not, he's never going to be that striker that's going to get you... 15, 20 goals a season, but he's going to pitch in, you know, in, in different parts of the pitch with, with with goals, you know, no doubt, you know, he, given a good run of games, he, he will get goals, but it was a great example. He came on in the 89th minute uh, and made a superb challenge um, just on the edge of our box. Now, you know, you often think strikers making challenges that deep, you, you don't need it, but he made a great challenge, which set Wilf off on his way and, uh, and, and, and ultimately ended up in Newcastle player getting a red card for hauling him down. So, you know, he's got he's got something, you know, in his locker that he's not just a striker. He will he he will harass and annoy defenders and the opposition. So, um, so yeah, I think he he'll be a good addition. There, there's there is an option to buy him in the summer if it works out if if we want to. So, um, we'll we'll see how that progresses. But I think with Jordan Ayew doing so well this year after signing in the summer after what what was well, a very peculiar season for him last year. We we didn't expect to sign him in the summer. We signed him and we're thinking, oh, great. You know, he, he didn't really set the world like last year, but he's been fantastic. He's probably our player of the year so far uh, this year. Uh, really good. We sent Connor Wickham on loan, which has which has left those three fighting for the one spot, really. And at the moment, I was playing out wide, uh, Benteke out front. So it's Benteke and Toussaint as our, you know, um, we can switch them around and, and start different games. So, Going to the end of the season, I think it was a it, it was a sensible addition, uh, something we needed a bit more firepower and and somebody that buys into the the work ethic of the group and yeah he, he's he's shown that in the short in the short minutes he's had. Gotcha. And then before we jump over to Dan, I did want to ask about one outgoing Victor Camarasa. I thought was one of the sneakiest best signings <laughs> of the summer window, and then he just didn't play and now is gone Ooh. already he seemed to have been able to provide what you needed in central midfield which is somebody that can pass well from deep any ideas on why it went so poorly or or your thoughts on him being jettisoned already oh, difficult one um i had a lot of conversation with cardiff fans when we when we signed him because he was a, a bit of a standout player last year in the premier league wasn't he for cardiff uh, scored scored some good goals and, and seemed to be that skillful player that could that could slot in I, I, I just don't think that he fitted with the way that Roy Hodgson plays, gets his teams to play football. You know, more often than not, we play with three defensive midfielders uh, behind a an attacking three, so a, a lone striker. And then you've got Wilf and Ayu at the moment out wide of that striker. Um, and and that's, that's very set, to be honest, um, to the point where you've got Max Meyer struggling to get into the side. Um, he was struggling to get into the side last year as well. So... It was always going to be difficult for Camarasa. Now I always thought that the only way Camarasa would get into the side would be if Wilf had a period out, whether it's injury, suspension, or whichever. Um, Wilf hasn't really had that. He hasn't really missed any games this year, so we never really found out whether that would be the case. But you know, since we brought James McCarthy in to play alongside the likes of Luca, and whether it's switched between McCarthy, McCarthy, Luca, and Coyote. He's never going to get into that midfield. And you're right, though. He's that sort of player. He's a creative player. And we thought he'd be somebody that, you know, Palace would be crying out for. But unfortunately, just doesn't fit into the way Raw Hodgson's teams play. Um, and, yeah, he, he's just a victim of that, really, unfortunately. Mm. And uh, he's ended up going back to Spain. It's a shame. 
But yeah, it's just yeah, it's just not. We don't play the formation that can accommodate him, unfortunately. Gotcha. And then coming to you now, Dan. Uh, you bring in Cedric Suarez and Pablo Mari. People have been uh, judgmental of your back line. You bring in two people into your back line, though. I'm not sure they're significantly better than what you have. What were your thoughts on those signings? Well, it's tough to tell, considering neither of them have made the match day squad yet for any of the games. <laughs> so, well, Suarez is out to like March or something, but yeah, you Suarez already knew that. Um, as far as Mari, I I know nothing about him, and he hasn't made the squad, so I know even less about him. So, I would love to give like a really in-depth analysis of him, <laughs> but I just don't know. Um, maybe he'll be good. The fact that he hasn't made the squad over, granted, I will say Luis and Mustafi have actually been playing pretty well lately, which is a sentence I never thought I'd say. Really crazy, actually, hearing it come out of my mouth. Um, so, like, it's not the easiest. It's not as easy as you would traditionally think to displace them, just based on current form. Um, and you know, he's integrating into a new squad, so that's a whole thing. Um, so I, you will see if the reason he's not paid the squad is because of quality or just because of, you know, getting used to everything. Um, and then yeah, Suarez is hurt. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's actually looking not great for Midland now because I think a big reason we brought him in was because he just doesn't want to play right back and that's kind of his position. It, it, so, um, we'll, we'll see if he, um, if Midland now is able to work his way back into favor before Cedric comes back. Cause if he doesn't, I, I, I don't know what, what a future holds for Midland Niles. Gotcha. Yeah, we'll see. They were, they were odd. Uh, yeah, Pablo Mari was formerly a City Academy product, I believe, and is quite large, but hasn't really impressed much at most of the places he's been. So we'll see. And Cedric didn't seem to develop into the player that we all thought he might be when I... Ooh, was it the last Euros that he did really well at right back for Portugal? But, uh, yeah, I don't remember. But yeah. um, well, so, I mean, and for word, I think... I think the Cedric signing, I will say, I think that's always, that was done with uh, a view into the future because he's in the last six months of his contract. Uh, yeah. Apparently, Southampton were shocked that anyone would be willing to give any. Or like, I don't remember exactly how the deal worked out. It but was like, five million for the loan. So I no, because I saw Ornstein tweeted that that was the initial report, but that wasn't exactly how it worked. That, oh, interesting. Uh, it was yeah. So I. I would have to, you'd have to go back to a specific tweet that he tweeted, and he probably did in one of the athletic podcasts as well. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it wasn't that simple. Um, it ended up being, I think, South, oh, I think Southampton saved five million, but we're not necessarily paying five million. I don't, again, I don't remember exactly how it works. Like maybe there's like that. some contract shenaniganry in there. Maybe something. And but he's in the last six months, and I think, uh, it may just be like we'll give him these six months to kind of integrate in the squad, and then we can, you know, have that have backup right back already dealt with um, going into the summer. So I think I think it is made more with, to sign him to a permanent contract if we like what we see um, over these next six months or so. Um, and if we do, we have back right back sorted. If we don't, it's not a huge risk um, and with a reasonably sized reward. Gotcha. All right. Uh, well, then we will wrap up with match previews. Uh, Dan, you have the first match chronologically uh, hosting Olympiacos, who taught him about some struggles with uh, in the Champions League, although their most dangerous player, Daniel Podence, now at Wolves, obviously. What do you make of this match? Um, we struggled pretty uh, We struggled pretty significantly in Greece, but we did come out with a 1-0 victory, which is pretty significant um, because, you know, we have well-documented struggles away from home. Um so what? to come away with a one nil, yeah, shocking. No one's ever heard that. But to come away with a one nil victory, I would have liked more away goals. And it ties not done, but I do think we are in a pretty good position to advance, which is all we can ask for. Um, really, well, we just have to not lose this game. 
obviously don't want to think like that, but that is the what it what it is. Um, I do not expect to lose this game. Please don't have that be a jinx and come back to bite me. But I, I do expect <laughs> this to go reasonably well. I'm going to go knock on a lot of wood. Gotcha. And then Jay will come to you next. It's Brighton versus Palace, a rivalry that some don't understand, but there have been articles on your site before, so I won't ask them of you now. Uh, we can just <laughs> plug them at the back end. But obviously a rivalry match. What do you expect in this? Yeah, well, we owe them one, don't we? I mean, um, they beat us twice last season, home and away, and that ended up being what saved them in the Premier League last year, uh, which uh, hasn't gone down that that well with Palace fans. You know, we, we love to see our rivals be relegated. Um, but yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. We drew uh, in the game at Celeste, and this I think this one takes on a little bit of a different meaning because of the positions that we're currently sitting in. Obviously, where we we've got points to play with at the moment whereas Brighton are probably in a, a bit more worse position than us after being a bit of draw specialist lately I believe so I think we go down there with uh, a bit of confidence after the win against Newcastle that was much needed uh, going into this game obviously after after a run of bad form so gives us a bit of uh, confidence hopefully and particularly when we played against Newcastle as well we we we, we were very different in that game we we started the game with a high press um, and we were relentless throughout the game. We just kept going at Newcastle and that's very much, very, very much not like us at home particularly. We, we generally start quite slowly, um, but we did that for the whole game yesterday. It, it was good to see, I have to say. We got quick players on our side and it really helped out like so Wilf and, and IU and uh, Van Arnholt particularly. So I'm hopeful that we can go down to Brighton and get something from the game. They'll be... They'll probably be a bit more nervous than us, needing points probably more than us at the moment. So I think that goes in our favour a little bit. I don't think it's going to be much of a spectacle because a lot of the time, you know, these derbies tend to be a little bit like that. It's the early kickoff on Saturday, which doesn't help our fans getting down there. But uh, I, I'm not too worried. I'll, I'll be in Dortmund this weekend anyway. So I'm, I'm off to see uh, Borussia Dortmund play Freiburg. So um, not not chosen to miss the Brighton game. It's just an opportunity for me to to go out and see Dortmund for the hmm. first time. So I'll be watching from afar. I'll be out there uh, watching on TV uh, before we go to Dortmund game. So, um, so yeah, looking forward to the game. Uh, I think it's come at a good time for us. And um, I'm hopeful that we can get some revenge on uh, on the two defeats they gave, handed out to us last season. I'm going to go for a 2 on with Palace. Nice. I like it. All right. Uh, we will leave things there. So if you'd like to tell folks where they could find you or any social media or any articles about the rivalry between Brighton and Palace, <laughs> where can they find you? Yeah, head on over to theeaglesbeat.com. That is where you'll find everything there is to know about the Brighton rivalry. We had a, a very good article went up um, a couple of a couple of seasons ago, actually, and it's still well read now. So we'll be, we'll be sharing that throughout the week because we always get questions about the rivalry. Why is it a rivalry? Uh, and what does it mean? So we'll be sharing that throughout the week as well as all the build up to the game and, and lots of other stuff as well. So you can get us theeaglespeak.com is our website and you can get us uh, on socials, particularly Twitter at the Eaglespeak uh, on there. I'm also presenter and her, uh, presenter and producer of the Marina Sports Show. It's a local community radio sports show uh, which airs on local radio, but it's online as well. You can catch us. Go and give us a follow at the Meridian SS. Yep, and I'm still Dan, still an Arsenal fan, and you can still get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. 
Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show on Twitter at EPL Roundtable. And also be sure to keep an eye out for our championship show that goes out every week as well on this very channel. Thanks again to you, Jay and Dan, for coming on today. Folks at home, we hope you keep listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.